Thanks for that reminder, brother. Uh, in fact, that just happened to me, I don't know, maybe three weeks ago. Someone offered to do, um, offer or wanted me to do a job for a large amount of money for cash. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Under 100000 but still a lot of money. And they figure they're going to save $10,000 in taxes, and I would jump at it. And I said, no, <laughs> for that reason. Uh, yeah, I did it once, and I decided that I'm just never going to do it again. So if you've slipped up in that area, then... Hold fast to the scriptures. God will honor his word. And don't listen to other voices that may, yeah, the government's corrupt, etc. Well, it was corrupt then, and it still is. And that uh, doesn't change the fact that God wants us to uh, follow his word. Well, we'll uh, read from the scriptures. Last time we were at verse 15 through 21 in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be covering uh, the rest of the chapter, hopefully today. No pressure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I must say this has been probably the most difficult uh, section for me for uh, yeah, different reasons, past failures. Um, yeah, I think that would be the most uh, difficult thing for me. And even, yeah, I tried to overcome it, and it just kept knocking at the door, and I just had to keep keep um, casting it away. But thank the Lord for his forgiveness and for his empowerment, that we don't have to stay as we are, but we can go on. Well, let us read in at, uh, we'll start in verse 15 again for the sake of um, continuity. And then we'll read down to uh, verse 33. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. 
Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Why don't we pray? Thank you, Lord, for all your mercies to us. We we thank you for the wonder of your word. We, We look to you, Lord, not just to understand it with our minds, but to obey all that you've intended for us. We we love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last time we uh, pointed out in verse 18 um, the exhortation not to be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And then it gives uh, one, two, three, four, depends how you slice it, five participles that modify that verb, be filled. Speaking, singing, making melody, giving thanks, submitting. And then it talks about those that would uh, submit and those that would be, if I could say, in uh, positions of authority. It addresses the ones in submission first and then the person in authority second. And the bulk of the exhortation is to the person in authority. So you can see who needs more instruction, the person submitting or the person in authority. And it's the person in authority because there is so much room for abuse of authority. And, yeah, there's a history of abuses in these areas. Husbands... Uh, that are abusive towards their wives, Uh, parents that are uh, less than caring for their children, and even though slavery is not a part of our society anymore, it was in many different societies for many generations. 
and there was, uh, it was common for there to be abuse in that uh, situation. And for this reason, um, Paul addresses these things. And notice that submitting was the commandment. So the commandment comes uh, to the Christian community to submit, whether it's, um, it's to the government or whether it's in the family. And then specifically, uh, verses 22 through to uh, chapter 6, verse 9, is what you would refer to as the household. Because in the household, there were servants. Now, that has not been uh, our experience. Um, Apparently, some have lived in places where you would have, it would be common to have a household servant. They were paid, um, and perhaps in this time, they were not paid. But uh, if you had a good master, he would make sure you were well looked after. And uh, that was the intent of God in that uh, situation. But nonetheless, there was... There'd be plenty of reasons in people's mind why they should not submit. We heard that. Why would you submit to the government when they're such nasty people? Uh, and you could see and you think, yeah, why should we? And everyone just gets going and they, they, uh, they start to find reasons why this is just not the will of God. <clears throat> and... Then it moves uh, into the family, starts with the wives and husbands, moves to children, and then lastly to uh, servants. And, yeah, it would, our natural flesh would be to want to stand up for our rights, and we hear that in our society every day. But uh, the will of God is that uh, we would submit um, to authority and then leave the, leave the other things uh, to God, to look after you as you're in a position uh, of submission. <clears throat> and then there is direction to those, uh, but there is always... Um, the, the warning uh, not to go beyond in uh, place of authority, but rather as uh, Christ has intended to, uh, to show love and to show grace in, uh, in that relationship. <clears throat> it is the, the will of God. <clears throat> So first, it was submitting uh, amongst the brethren, and we, I gave an example of that. There could be many more, uh, where you would have an opinion that would be strong, and you might bring that to brothers' meeting. You might bring it to, to um, some situation between you and another brother. And the heart of God is that we would learn uh, to submit 
And it says there the motive, in the fear of God. <clears throat> in the fear of God. Because God is our fear, as he said, and God is our dread. Uh, therefore, we would not be, um, we would fear to be rebellious against uh, the will of God. And that is uh, really the motive and the only thing that we should be thinking of in, in this relationship. <clears throat> and it doesn't help that society is so against uh, this. And it, it would creep in, and I don't believe it's a problem here. I really don't. But it can creep in without people realizing it. And um, because it's uh, so much in the media, it's uh, the women's liberation movement has been around for how long? 60s, yeah, with women working. And, uh, and there's plenty of ammo, if you could say that, for the women's liberation movement. Many, many uh, bad husbands. Uh, husbands that were um, took advantage of their position, <clears throat> and uh, but nonetheless, it's still uh, still the will of God. And so we read in there at uh, verse twenty-one, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, and then it gets specific. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. And as we said, it addresses the person, in this case the wife, um, first. And there's three verses of instruction. Fairly simple. And then there is the rest uh, to the husband. Now, there is no um, warning to the husband uh, here. There is a exhortation there in Colossians. We could read that. It's very short. Uh, like you could say, you could call it a warning, I guess. In uh, Colossians chapter 3, Uh, this is a compressed version of what we see there in Ephesians. Uh, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And then it goes, children, fathers, servants, right there. The same uh, material, the same but very compressed. And most of the time is spent on uh, servants there in that uh, particular passage. <clears throat> so the, the wives are enjoined to submit and the husbands are enjoined to love. And that is the basic uh, commandment, uh, if you could say that. <clears throat> and it is all based on... Uh, one thing, for the husband is the head of the wife. Let's turn to uh, 
first to first Peter. This is not a isolated. We've read it uh, in other passages. We even covered it when we were going through first Peter. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they, may, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of their wives. So the context there is an unbelieving husband. And the wife was, in that situation, still to submit to him, um, and through her life of submission and honor, that she would uh, win him over to the faith. Um, and that is, and then it references Sarah, who was in subjection to her own husband. And the history of godly women is that they submitted themselves uh, to their husbands. Turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. The implication is there that if they are not obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God will be blasphemed, even in that pagan culture. Now, if you were obedient to your husband in this generation, you will probably be mocked. It is the opposite, I believe, of uh, unless you happen to live in a Muslim culture, Uh, where it would be more expected, but perhaps for different reasons. But it's so God will be honored and his doctrine will be exalted. And then turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 9 where it gets gets into the whole thing about headship. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 9. In like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman... Learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And then uh, this comes up. The reason why uh, women are to be in subjection, in this case, um, specifically, to be in silence in regard to teaching. Because we know the women sing and they can pray in the congregation with their heads covered. That's the basic teaching of the New Testament. But the reason given is not a cultural one. And many people have 
gone this way in interpretation of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that it's a cultural reason. But there is no cultural reason given. It's a one that goes back to creation. And that is not a cultural thing because creation affects everybody. Uh, they all came from the first parents. And then this is the reason given for the woman being silent in regard to teaching and exercise of authority in uh, the congregation. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So in both cases, in creation, Adam was first created, and then Eve was taken from him. And then uh, Adam was not deceived, but he, uh, Eve was first deceived uh, by the serpent. So because of that reason, because of creation, because of what's it's taught in Genesis, um, Paul referenced that as the reason that God has given that women are in subjection. And that is not hard to understand, but people have a hard time accepting it. Because we've moved on from that kind of archaic understanding of... Um, what God has done in the church and all kinds of rhetoric that you get from this. Yeah, I've read all kinds of literature on the subject, some by women. Um, But the, as I said last time, men are the champions for, to liberate women often. Uh, I say champion for the wrong thing, but nonetheless, and it's not because men want to keep women down. That isn't the, the motive. Many women are very gifted. They just haven't been given the raw material for government. That's it. There isn't some women that could do a better job, but they haven't as a um, part of humanity been given the tools in general. There are some really tough women But generally speaking, they haven't been given the tools to to govern, and that's the reason for it. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians 11, we'll read in in verse uh, 3. The context is uh, women praying and prophesying. That is in the assembly of the saints. In verse 3, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. 
For the man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. And we'll uh, stop there. Now, we won't get into the specifics of this passage, but for the sake of uh, time, the um, statement there in verse 3, that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. There is submission in the Godhead. which does not imply that Christ is less than God. Christ has chosen through redemption and the, um, as we heard last time, becoming a man necessitated his submission. He voluntarily gave up his the exercise of his attributes to become a man. And he humbled himself. It says that in Philippians uh, chapter 3. That Christ voluntarily humbled himself and submitted to becoming a human being uh, for the purpose of redemption. And then he's, he went lower and lower and lower and submitted himself even unto death, the death of the cross. <clears throat> so not only is there now uh, submission in the Godhead, uh, Christ has, uh, at the end of all of time, he's going to give to the Father. I don't know how that's all going to look. But after all things are brought, been brought into subjection to him, he's going to, uh, in the words of um, escapes my mind where that is now. Is it First uh, Corinthians seven? No, it's not seven. Somebody. Oh, here it is. <clears throat> For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which put all things under him. So the Father is not under Christ, but Christ is under the Father, which does not imply inequality. It does imply submission. Now, the J-dubs and everything have pressed really hard to say this proves that Christ is not God. And that is, frankly, a lie. Um, God has not, by setting up, um, because he has made man the head, he has not made woman lesser than the man. But they uh, rule equally, but the man is in authority, and the woman submits to that authority, just as much as the Father, you could say, is in authority, and Christ submits to him. 
<clears throat> and we saw that, and he, he acted and he demonstrated that as a man on earth, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, those that would uh, take exception with that and think, uh, I can't help you, but that is the truth. <laughs> And it says there, when all things are subdued to him, that's to Christ, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. That is where all of history and time is moving. Christ is going to submit himself to the Father. So with this great example, why would we ever have trouble submitting in the areas that God has uh, given to us? And everyone is under submission somewhere. As we, uh, Dave mentioned, we're to submit ourselves to the government where we can. Because God is our ultimate authority, where the government would cross those lines, then we don't submit. Um, And in those cases, in idolatry, and where there is a direct commandment that is being transgressed, then we would say, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, and we would reserve uh, for times like that to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I've had uh, one occasion in my life uh, not to do that. I would not submit to what the government was asking me to do. And, uh, yeah, I still wouldn't. But, and then that situation might arise again, where we would not bow the knee, as it were, just like uh, Daniel and his friends would not bow. Would not bow. Now, if you're struck to the ground... (laughs) You could say, I'm not, I may be down, but I'm not bowing down. And, uh, but that is not the case. At least it hasn't been in our country. But everyone is in submission somewhere. And we can look to Christ as the great example of that. Uh, the great example. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11. Because the whole issue of headship, it comes up there in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 as the reason that uh, the man is in authority. God has placed him there. It is not his idea. And the submission of the wife is not... not, Something she chooses, although, yeah, she has to choose to come under that, but that's been given by God, her place, in the marriage relationship. So there we see it. But I'd have you know that the head of every man is Christ. Christ is our head. He's our ruler, and we submit to him. That is uh, the case. And the head of the woman is the man. 
and the head of Christ is God. That is the reason given for the head covering and everything. Everything rises and falls on the Godhead. And if you misunderstand that or you reject that, then can't help you either. But uh, that is the situation. It's because of creation. <clears throat> and then he mentions that in... Um, in verse 7, it says, For the man indeed ought not to cover his head, for inasmuch as he is the image and glory of God. He was created first, and then the woman was taken out of the man and made uh, for him. <clears throat> that is, uh, for the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. That's creation. And then he mentions it again in verse 9. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. You can imagine reading this in some kind of <laughs> town hall thing. People's eyes would pop out of their head that you would believe something so ludicrous. They would just, yeah, spin a bearing. But anyway, it'd be kind of fun to see that, but like, yeah, reserve. <clears throat> for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Then it goes on, which we won't. Uh, get into but even though that is the case as we see in the Godhead the father loves the son there's no competition in the Godhead <clears throat> and likewise in a godly marriage there is no competition there's so much of that in the world. You see it everywhere. Women, you know, anything a man can do, a woman can do better. All of these things, the competition of the, the sexes is just not a biblical thing. There, there might exist in the world, but in, uh, there is no competition to see who is better um, but it is together. Um, they are going forward to uh, glorify God. <clears throat> so wives, submit yourselves. <clears throat> and it says submit yourselves. It has to be voluntary. You cannot... Um, a husband that makes her wife submit has already lost... That, that's not even suggested in the passage. A wife voluntarily submits, as Christ did, uh, to the Father and uh, to difficulty and suffering and death and then exaltation. <clears throat> and really that's what happens here. <clears throat> oh, the husband exalts the wife, uh, the weaker uh, vessel <clears throat> and you submit yourselves to your own husbands as you would to the Lord as you would to God himself and there's no reservations in submitting to God and if there is you put those aside <clears throat> yeah but you don't know my husband he's not the Lord I'm sure you've heard that one too uh, all kinds of faults and therefore 
Yeah, it's difficult, but it it doesn't mention that. If you knew my husband, yeah, you wouldn't expect me to submit to him. Now, that's maybe not a problem here, but you would I definitely if you would teach this passage uh, to many, they would have uh, trouble with it. <clears throat> but it goes on, our Paul goes on, for the husband is the head of the wife, we just established that, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. <clears throat> so Christ is exalted to head, he's master, he's king, and we submit to him. Everybody understands that. But the uh, <clears throat> Paul says that the husband is the head of the wife. He's master and lord. I mean, it says that in uh, that Sarah called Abraham lord. <clears throat> and yeah, that is just asinine for many people, especially in our culture, who um, just could not accept that and nor could they accept that they are to love their wife as Christ loved the church either but that is what uh, the apostle goes on to say he is the savior of the body so because of Christ is the head but he has been given as the head and the savior of the body. And the body is the, the church uh, of Christ. <clears throat> so what is the wife to submit to? And I just came up with uh, four, four main categories. And then you can decipher those all yourself. Domestic life, housing, expenses, clothing, education, employment for children, social circles, etc. Falls under the category where the the man would have authority uh, in his own household. In business, he's to lead out in support of his family through diligent investment of time, finances, to the benefit of the whole family. In spirituality, private prayer, reading, teaching by example and by precept. In discipline and training the children, all these are areas the wife is to submit to and support her husband. Now, there's many things perhaps that I didn't mention, but the even though the man rules, a wise ruler will know the needs of his wife and his children and will rule accordingly. It isn't as if he's going to be uh, a despot, selfish for his own ends. If you are, you need to repent and uh, trust in Christ, if that is where you are at. But again, I'm speaking uh, to people who know that already. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. 
and everything that we mentioned. And the everything does not mean uh, where a, let's say, a, an unbelieving husband has a wife that would be a Christian and he would command her to do something that would be against the scripture. The everything would not mean everything. And again, that is not the case here. I think the implication of the passage is that you would have a Christian spouses. In First uh, Peter chapter three, specifically mentions an unbelieving husband. Uh, in that situation, uh, it would be different. But we're not going to get into that now. This passage is before us. We won't get sidelined with that. But that is a different uh, situation. The church submits to God in every area of life. I don't think there's an area that you would say, no, God doesn't have any jurisdiction here. And likewise, um, the Christian husband would have all authority in the home. And so much so that he could even, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that if he wanted to keep his daughters unmarried, then he would have the authority to do so. I know that is not how the NIV has translated that passage, but the NIV is wrong. And the, uh, the context is that a father would have a, all authority in the home. And... Uh, I know that's hard to people to accept, and then, so the translators of the NIV have changed that passage. And you can read it for yourself if you don't believe me, but it is the case. They have changed a few words here and there and made it the case. Now, most fathers would uh, want to give their daughters in marriage to a Christian man. Um, if you know your daughter, then you would not uh, withhold that from her. But that being the case, that is the, the range of authority of the man. <clears throat> so it just, there we go. That's the commands to the wife, the, um, and then husbands. <clears throat> husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. <clears throat> so there is this, the beginning of uh, the command to love your wife. <clears throat> and although it is a commandment, it has to be something that comes from the heart. It cannot be a duty. <laughs> as soon as something is a duty, you know that... Uh, Yeah, there's not, it's not all that God has intended. <clears throat> and we would consider many things in life a duty, but it also has to be a desire that rises from uh, the heart of man. <clears throat> no one wants a husband that has to love them. I mean, it's just, uh, it's yeah, painful to think about <clears throat> programmed, you know. Yes, I love you today. 
type of approach would be painful. You want someone who is chosen, uh, setting aside all else to love, uh, to love his wife. Turn to um, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Regarding how Christ um, regards believers. We know the story we'll read in at verse 4. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And trembling and astonished said, Lord, wilt thou? What wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said, Arise. And go to the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Um, Even though this came as a, you could say, a commandment, uh, Saul, his heart was, what will you have me to do? And so if we could meld the two together. Uh, this is what the commandment is to uh, for wives to submit and husbands to love. <clears throat> it's a commandment, but it is one that says, what will you have me to do, Lord? And I do not believe you have a, even though at that time Saul didn't know the difficulties that he would uh, be embarking on but he was in with all of his heart because he loved the Lord Jesus and uh, in both cases this is the nature of the commandment it isn't hard but it's because you're all in and that's uh, what we ought to to be doing Turn to Galatians chapter uh, 2 and verse 20.
a common, uh, common verse. But I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. The life now, I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The example to every husband is just right here. Christ laid down his life for the church. He gave himself. And there was no reserve. He gave himself completely and totally. You can't give yourself any more than going to the cross. Um, So this is the example. To men in the extent that they love their wives... So the giving of yourself goes beyond. Uh, anything that I've ever given. It, uh, and I don't think the implication is that God is expecting that every Christian husband is going to die literally for his wife. But he would if the situation did arise. And that is the, uh, the implication in the statement, and gave himself for it. The love which Christ had for his church led him to the place where he would die on her behalf. Um, and that is uh, the example that's laid before the Christian husband. <clears throat> There can be no whining about sacrifice. There can be no uh, price that's too high uh, to uh, fulfill this command. So when it says he gave himself, that was the extent uh, that he did so. And the action of giving himself was is that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water uh, by the word. So his sacrifice uh, through his blood and through uh, the gospel, he uh, cleansed uh, the church. And the cleansing was to present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without uh, blemish. Spot, wrinkle, or any such thing speaks of a garment, um, but really spot is, if you go back, it's in examining a lamb. You would look for a spot or a blemish that would make the sacrifice um, unworthy to be offered to God. And uh, that is really where it comes from. <clears throat> so he two things. He sanctified the church with his blood, his life, and uh, with his word, the gospel. And obviously, he sent the Holy Ghost down from heaven that he might uh, make it all uh, 
that she would be. <clears throat> so ought men to love uh, their own wives. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife uh, loveth himself. So the second uh, impetus, one is the example of Christ and the other is uh, a physical example that we could all uh, relate to. Men ought to love their wives even as you love yourself. Everyone can relate to that. Uh, the Bible assumes self-love. You, Who do you look after when you get up in the morning? You brush your teeth, you comb your hair for everyone else's sake, and not necessarily your own. Um, and you, you just, we tend to look after ourselves. If you have a pain, you address that, etc. And... It assumes that in verse 29, for no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. <clears throat> so nourishing and uh, cherishing. I, uh, I looked up the definition. You know, it's not like I didn't know the definition, but I thought I'd look it up just for the sake of looking it up. And I was, yeah, I was yeah, pleasantly surprised. <clears throat> Nourish means to bring up, to promote the growth of by proper nutrients, conditions, or sustenance. And all of those things we need to provide for our wives, that they could grow and uh, prosper and obviously as that happens children come along and you need to do that uh, for her sake and then uh, for your family's sake and you don't just nourish but you cherish <clears throat> to cherish to hold dear tenderly care for to keep warm and to give ease to in suffering to entertain in the mind, harbor fondly to cling to. Cherish, something you cherish, you yeah, you think about it fondly. Even as the Lord, the church. This is what uh, the Lord Jesus has done and is doing for his church. <clears throat> he doesn't think about you and go, that that person, huh? They are such a pain in the neck. Can you imagine? It's just not like that. <clears throat> when he sees them dealing with his disciples on earth, he upbraided them for their unbelief, but everything else he he didn't put up with them, but he loved them. There's a big difference. <clears throat> and uh, we ought to do the same for our wives. <clears throat> so every man does that for himself. He loves himself. So when you love your wife, 
you're loving yourself, and that is the next. Uh, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Now, verse 30 and 31 are from Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Again, here it's mentioned for the relationship between Christ and the church, and that really is the backdrop of the whole passage. It's about... It's all about Christ and the church. And the commandment to the husbands, an example, is secondary. So he diverts uh, from that. Really, he diverted from that back in verse uh, 26 or half of 25. Christ also loved the church and gave, and then he launches out there. For when it says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. That's the body of Christ. The, uh, and it is uh, a mystery that every um, Christian in the world is part of the body of Christ. Uh, we can't relate to that because we don't see them. We've never met them, but that is the case. And we are part of his body, and that's why he loves and cherishes the body. So the whole body is part of Christ Jesus. He moves in the world by his church. <clears throat> and I looked up just for the sake of looking it up. But probably because it was something I didn't know much about, but I looked up the human skeleton. 206 bones that perform six major functions. Support, that's obvious. If you had no bones, you'd be a quivering blob of jelly on the ground. (laughs) Um, Movement. Protection, your bones provide protection, your head. Imagine just a brain there with no skull. Production of blood cells, storage of minerals, and endocrine regulation. That's regulation of your hormones, all produced by your skeleton. And that's just one tiny part of the human system. And every Christian is kind of like that. There's one tiny part of the body of Christ. And he, he looks after that. We all look after our bodies, or we should. Um, eating properly, our wives usually having some 
a greater input in that than ourselves. Um, looking after the body. And Christ uh, looks after. He loves his own body. Of his flesh and of his bones. And it's not literal. You understand that. It's uh, emblematic. And yet it is literally true. It's not physical, if I could say that. It's, but it is literal. We're part of his body. And he regards us as such. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, that's what we just read, and shall be joined to his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. Then he says, this is a mystery. Not that, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. It's a mystery, the uniting of Christ and his church. So much so that a passage we read in Acts chapter uh, 9 there. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he was harming other Christians, but in doing so, he was touching the body of Christ. And that's why Christ would say, you're persecuting me by uh, kicking against and fighting against and persecuting these believers. And that's a great comfort when you think that um, when you touch another Christian, you're touching part of Christ Jesus. And that is, that is a great uh, mystery, but it is the truth. <clears throat> so we get lost in that in the passage. <clears throat> this is Christ's connection with his body, with his bride. And then uh, Paul brings it back down to to where we live. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. In the Christian household, there is, as we've said, there is no competition. Uh, There is only love reigning. And where love reigns... All these things fall into place. Um, And I don't believe there's any danger that you can love your wife too much. Now, you don't love her more than you love God. And that's obvious. I don't think we have to mention that. But in terms of loving your wife, this is the extent what Christ went. He laid down his life. If you do that, practically speaking... You're going to set aside your own needs, selfishness, all is on the chopping block, and then all that's left is uh, love uh, for your wife. Turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Because it's all going toward this presentation that he might present it to himself. A glorious church. Revelation 21 in verse 9. 
And there came to me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I'll show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And then he describes a city. Obviously not literal. Although I, one of my favorite preachers says, if this isn't literal, I don't know what it means. <laughs> and if this is literal, I don't know what it means. I do know what it means, but it's not literal. <laughs> it's describing a beautiful city. And the city is the church of God. It's that simple. And it goes into great detail about the beauty of this city, which is put in ancient terms. How would you describe a beautiful city now? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Because cities are generally ugly. They're usually places of sin. Uh, But um, he describes this beautiful city. And this is the bride... The lamb's wife. It's obviously figurative in nature, but it describes a beautiful city, perfectly formed, symmetrical, dazzling gold, silver, precious stones. This is nothing else than the hearts of men made pure, men and women made pure, and they are the bride of Christ. And then in summary, I'm way over time, but Martin will do a better job at this than I would, but uh, perhaps he'll take another kick at the can there. In summary, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. God has so designed in life that submission is the path to exaltation. Submission is the path to exaltation. If you don't believe that, look at the Lord Jesus. He submitted himself, he humbled himself, and it says he's exalted to the highest place and given a name that's above every name. It's, and if you don't get recognition in this life, God will see that you will. And I believe if you're serving a faithful husband that you will be recognized. The exercises of authority are quiet and not loud and forceful. If a man must command his wife's obedience, domestic bliss makes wings. As soon as you have to put your thumb down and you make yourself uh, and command on all of these things, Uh, I believe it's not the heart uh, of God in doing so. There may be situations, I'm just casting a general, there may be situations where you have to say, dear, we are not going to do this, and this is why. Notwithstanding, though, the wish of the husband is the wife's command, as it were. He doesn't have to, you know... Ten laws you must obey. Uh, it's, just, it's just not the way. <clears throat> Loving husband and uh, a joyful, obedient uh, wife. <clears throat>
the husband's known wish should be her command. The husband should know his wife and what pleases her in domestic life. It's a, it's both and. It's not. Uh, I hope we grasp the heart of God in this. <clears throat> love your wife. Love for your wife is boundless. If Christ is the example. And to all the husbands here, we need to, yeah, wherever we failed, we want to do better, that we might glorify God in all things. And if you're not in a position of being a wife, you are still part of the bride of Christ, and you need to please him in all things. And we know that when we submit to God, <clears throat> then he'll have blessing for us. That's Even though you don't see it, it might be a far off. You can't see it. If you submit to life circumstances, to difficulties, for Jesus' sake, then God will exalt you in due time. Dave, you want to stand up and pray loudly for us?